before I start, I wanted to, I was listening to John Haller, Prophecy. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Good evening. And uh, I was, Sylvia and I were listening to it at dinner, and it was interesting what he was going over because he started out kind of the same way I feel half the time, especially these days. Um, you can sit there and come up with, a lot of people do prophecy updates. On my blog, I do what I call discerning the time updates, which is the same thing. But it's funny how it's almost impossible to stay not only abreast of everything, but ahead of everything. And like he was saying, he spent hours working on his prophecy update, the current one, and within 24 hours it was already old. That's just the way things are moving so fast today. And it's kind of interesting that we're going to be talking about, um, I think this one tonight, yeah, the northern invasion, Russia and allied invasion of Israel. And I just want to say from the outset, I put Russia here, but I'm not dogmatic about that. What I'm going to present, and, and I think you know this, one of the, what we're going to present tonight is one option about the countries involved. Because, you know, um, people get so dogmatic about this stuff. Um, and that's okay if they personally want to be dogmatic about it. But there are just, I like what John Haller said. He goes, it's really sometimes impossible to know. Because some of the, you know, you've got Tubal, Meshach, Roche, and then we're trying here from 2022 to try and go back into history and go, well, who was Tubal? And more importantly, even if we can figure out who Tubal was, where were their quote-unquote boundary lines? Where, where did that, they exist? And so it's really difficult sometimes to do that. And I think God did that on purpose, honestly. Because he doesn't need us or want us to know everything. And one thing John Haller said about this, which is the way I'll, I'll approach this from the beginning, and maybe if I remember, say it at the end, we'll know when it happens. <laughs> and when it happens, we'll know exactly the countries that are involved in it. Whether it's, you know, everybody's talking about the Gog-Magog war right now, which is the northern invasion. And, uh, okay, go yeah. And the northern invasion, everybody's thinking, well, it's Putin. He's God. Well, we don't know that. And we can't know that. Could he be? Yes, absolutely. Could it be somebody else? Yes, absolutely. There's so much going on in the Mideast. I know you people, you know, try to keep up on this as much as possible, just like me. So, you know, you've got the president of Turkey. You've got the president of Russia. Now you've got the president of Ukraine. Iran is always in this. You've got Israel, which is always in this. And not only that, but then you've got these little tiny little countries all around. Crimea, you've got, I mean, it just, it just the northern tip, the thumb of Syria that apparently Turkey wants. You know, it, it, we're talking about constant upheaval over there. So all I'm giving you tonight is what the scripture says and maybe my opinion about it. But I'm not, it's not set in stone for me. I kind of lean toward this, but I could be totally wrong. So just bear that in mind, would you? Gog, we know this is true. Gog 
is going to lead this invasion. And if you want to, turn to Ezekiel 38 and 39. I know we're actually in, Rush, in uh, Revelation, yes, but you know as well as I do, and you agree with me, I know you do, that you can't just study Revelation without going into other portions of Scripture. Uh, because what Jesus had John do, essentially, which I think is so cool, is John basically culled from many, many portions of Scripture, 38 and 39. And it's all in one book for us. And I think that that is the coolest part about Revelation. Apart from which, not least of which, of course, is the return of our Lord, which is going to be pretty exciting. Um, so, I'm not going to read all the scripture, but I will make note of a couple of verses as we go through. 38 verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, that's obviously Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, and I love the way... God approaches him and talks to him as son of man. Jesus was also the son of man. So in a sense, Ezekiel was a type of Christ because of that. Uh, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So obviously what we're dealing with right here is a person named Gog, and he's from the land of Magog. And he's the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So people often take the word Rosh and they say, well, that's Russia. Now, no, you really, honest, I know how they get there. And if they feel comfortable doing that, that's okay. But again, um, I don't feel comfortable definitely coming down on the side that that is Rosh. It could be. It could be. But God will lead this invasion. We know that. And most likely, many commentators, conservatively, conservative biblical scholars have said, Gog is not the name of a person. It's a title, like Pharaoh, or Caesar, or Kaiser, or King, or, you know, it's, it's a title. So, you know, people, I remember a number of years ago, people were going, well, yeah, uh, let's see, uh, Gog, that's going to be his name in a way. So we need to look for somebody with some part of his name that's God. And that's kind of a stretch. Don't think about it that much, right, people? It's just, <laughs> let's just get the... If I can get the big picture of the end times and fill in a couple of points here and there, I'm happy about that. And I still could be wrong. But we do know, fact, Gog is a title, not a name. Uh, that's also, by the way, what's confusing. And maybe when we're done with Revelation, if Mark allows, I'll do Daniel. Because Daniel is a fascinating book, as I'm sure you know. And it gets a little bit confusing when you get to the Medes and the Persians and you got Darius and Cyrus. Is it one guy, two guys? One guy took after him? It's just really interesting. But it's the same kind of thing. So we've got the Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Whatever these countries are, whatever these areas of the world are, this guy is prince over those areas. That's what it's basically telling us. So whoever is ruling this alliance at the time of the invasion will be Ezekiel's God. And that, that is absolutely fascinating to me because, you know, in some ways, if we look at what's going on over there right now, I think that's why more Bible scholars are talking about the northern invasion right now because it could happen. I don't like it when they try to get really specific and they try to say, by the end of this year, this we need to step back and just let let God deal with that stuff. Man can't That's, do that. I'm sorry? Man can't do that. No. 
we shouldn't even try. We shouldn't try. And not that we can't glean stuff from God's word, but let's not go beyond. Now, this next slide I'm going to show you, some of it is just going to be real obvious, and you're going to go, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Others, it isn't real. I should probably get out of my own shadow here. Others, it doesn't really make sense, or I shouldn't say it doesn't make sense. It's maybe questionable. It's, we're not sure. But, but we know that Persia, from the scripture, is like in verse 5. Notice those uh, countries. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. Now, we've got two in there, three in there, really. Persia is present-day Iran, so we know where that is. There's also Cush, and there's only two places in history that have had that name. Mesopotamia, Genesis 2.13, and all other usages of this word Cush, so it depends on your translation, is really referring to Ethiopia, which is why the New King James Version translates it Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are all with them. So, and we know Libya. Libya's been where it's always been. So, consistency of interpretation, I think, and I would agree with this, requires Cush. If your translation says Cush, I, I would say that it's okay to read Ethiopia into that. I should say read Ethiopia out of that. But that's totally up to you. Put, this is interesting. Put is present-day Somaliland or Somalia. And then Gomer, this is an interesting one because it doesn't take up all of where Germany was takes up part of it. So we've got part of Germany here. And the Midrash calls Gomer Germania. So if you go all the way back in history and you look at this, this Midrash, this text, this volume of historical information, they referred to Gomer as Germania. So it ties in. Isn't it nice that other people have done some of this heavy... Because I'm not... I mean, I love history. But I'm not into it that much where I'm going to go read the Midrash just to figure out what Gomer is. So somebody did that, it's like, okay, all right, I can buy that. Togomar, <laughs> that is present-day Armenia. It also may include Turkey or parts of Turkey. So if I had a map here and I could show you all these places on the map, which I wish I had done, then you might get a better picture of how all this relates to Israel. I mean, really what we're talking about are all these little countries, big and small, around Israel, and Israel is the center, the target. And that's what they have their eyes on. And that's another thing. With everything that's going on in the world today, um, it's very difficult. I, I'm sure you're the same way. I, I, when I hear the news, I look at it with a uh, jaundiced eye a little bit. I, I just, I have to do my own research. And even then, it's like, well, are they telling me the truth? Are they telling me the truth? If you know people in Ukraine, you're probably going to get a better picture of what's happening than if you listen to the mainstream news. There's just so much misinformation out there, um, and, and, or information that is hard to verify. Let's just put it that way, to be nice. I got a quick question. Mm -hmm. And um, you can just tell me to be quiet, and that's cool, because this is, this is kind of controversial, I suppose. Ooh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, okay, so... Going on down um, to verse 10. Yes. Okay, uh, on that day, thoughts come to your mind, you'll find them seen. I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely. I'll okay, be quiet. That's way too controversial. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm sitting here thinking in my little pea brain that uh, 
and I, I mean, I hesitate to even say it because it might sound silly to someone who's actually studied this, uh -huh. but it sounds more like an invasion that comes at the end of the thousand years because Israel is not a secure build, an unwalled place. Right. And no, it's a good. This in, um, not just Ezekiel, but um, Zechariah too. Talk yeah. about okay. So yeah. you see no, I, I, okay. I, I see where you're going. Here, here's the thing. I tend, there are a lot of people who agree with that, by the way. Okay. And there are good reasons for accepting that. Perfectly good reasons for accepting it. Um, I've not read anybody thinking like I do, so I doubt myself partially. No, no. You know what, though? I doubt myself. Okay. Okay, I mean, I have a doctorate in theology, and I... St that's not bragging, but I'm still saying no, no, I, I doubt myself. Sure. You know, you, you have to. If, if you're going to go through and go, oh, I know everything about no, no, we don't do that, and I know you don't do that. I don't do that. Now, what verse were you at specifically? Um, we're at uh, let's say eleven. Okay. Now, here's the deal. The one, the one that uh, Amanda's talking about. The one theory is that this happens at the end, so it's essentially Armageddon. Is that correct? Is that what you're thinking? Or does um, it come after Armageddon? Actually. Well, the way, like I said, in a little pea brain, the way that I see Armageddon happening is when Christ comes with his army. Right. Okay. Right. So then, after the thousand years when Satan's released, right. then Satan gathers up the army, the right. armies from the people who were who were in the nations, who were around, who were left, right. and attacks uh, Israel. Right. And at that point, there's fire brimstone like that. It's not like we fight because right. God handles it. Right. And that's one view. Okay. That's one view. Okay. My particular view, for what it's worth, is that this will happen actually before the tribulation. Now, to your point where it says, you will go up against a land of unwalled villages, you're going to say to yourself, I'm going to go to a peaceful people who dwell safely. And what I've learned about this particular phrase here, where who dwell safely. I think we may be covering it. I'm not sure, but it's good to talk about it now anyway. Is that if you look at Israel right now, uh -huh. and you were to ask them, they, they believe they dwell safely. Oh, really? Meaning that they can handle anything that comes their way. That's what they view. They, they are not concerned about Iran. They are not concerned about Turkey. They're not concerned about Putin because they have an Iron Dome system. They have plenty of artillery. I don't think they have those hypersonic missiles that Putin talks about that he can release all over the world. But nobody has a defense for that anyway. Right. So, um, so one view is that, um, and by the way, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, I think I mentioned him to you the yeah. other day, he basically says that that means people who dwell safely, meaning they believe they can handle anything that comes their way. So in other words... If you go back to the Old Testament times, the Hebrew Scriptures, when Israel was literally fighting for its existence, uh -huh. and then they, like the book of Joshua talks about conquering, 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 conquering. Right. They went up against enemies that were so much larger than they were. Mm -hmm. And they weren't afraid because they felt safe because they believed that God was on their side. And unfortunately... If you look at Israel today, they will say often the same thing. God is with Israel. Jehovah, Yahweh is with Israel. He protects us. And they will say, they will say proof of that. Proof of that. And I'm not saying, by the way, that 
what I'm telling you right now is the correct way to view this. I'm simply give, playing the other side of the And so they will say that proof of that is the fact that they still exist. Mm -hmm. I think the key word is they. It's like Mark was saying today about I being in them. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not relying on God. You're relying on us, they. Right, right. And don't forget, yes, um, he's going, I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely. This is Gog saying this, for, for one thing. Yes, Gog is saying, that's the perspective that at least some of the world has. I mean, honestly, I look at Israel and I'm thinking to myself, the world is actually afraid of Israel, if you think about it. They really are. And the reason they are is because they've not done anything to really seriously eradicate Israel from the Middle East. And with the UN basically almost 100% opposed to Israel, Iran can get up and say, we will not rest until there is no longer any Jew in the Middle East. In Israel, we will eradicate them from the map. And Israel sits there and basically they're going, okay, come on. I mean, that's really what Israel's opinion is and their demeanor. So am I saying my view is right? No, not necessarily. But that's the one that I think, for me, fits in a little bit it's, better. But I could be wrong. It, it could be. I mean, there are some wonderfully intelligent, biblical, conservative scholars on both sides of this issue. So you ultimately have to come down on the side that makes sense to you regarding right. that. Um, People also, there's also a group that says the Gog-Magog northern invasion is Armageddon, and that's going to happen when, at the end of the tribulation kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I don't agree with that. But well, one view that this fight or battle is what brings the Antichrist to the forefront because he makes a peace mm. between these attacking yeah. forces and Israel. Yeah, and what's interesting is this, I mean, the whole thing of prophecy is fascinating to me. I really love it. I love talking about it. I love studying it. And with, with the Antichrist, if, if the tribulation isn't that far away, then obviously the Antichrist is a grown man right now, mm -hmm. just waiting in the wings. Right. And when we get into the seals, which I want to do in the next couple of weeks, obviously the first one is seal number one. And that's the white rider, the rider on the white horse who comes with a crown and a bow. And he has no weapons. It's very, very interesting. We'll get into that. But what's fascinating about that is once the Antichrist steps up, it takes him a while to gain dominion. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, man, he sidles up to Israel. He pretends he's their best buddy. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of Emmanuel Macron. We all know what the word Emmanuel stands for, what it means, God with us. Emmanuel Macron, who most recently affirmed his support for Israel, 100%, and then further affirmed that they need to main control, maintain control of the Temple Mount. Wow. I mean, he said that publicly in front of the UN. And he said, that's always been my position. You know it's been my position. I want to reiterate my position. I'm saying paraphrasing. So you sit there and you go, hmm, interesting. So who are you really? I don't know. I, I, I don't want to name names or anything, but that, it just makes you think. Yeah, it does. Because here is a Nash, I mean, an international leader who is now president of the EU as well as president of France. 
who has stepped up and come out publicly again in absolute 100% support of Israel. You don't think Israel's mullah, not mullah, sorry, their, their leaders, their government officials, their highest people are paying attention to Macron? They know they have a friend in, in him. Now, when Trump was president, they had a friend in Trump. But he was tossed out, literally. Literally tossed out. So, well, it's, it's so fascinating. Do you think Macron got in office the same way Biden Oh, oh yeah. That, We're talking about Le Pen's ballots being thrown out the streets in France. I have absolutely no doubt. You know, and unfortunately, people, patriots, conservatives, conservative Christians, I should say authentic Christians, in this country believe that if we just vote in the right people next time, it's going to all be gold. And you know what? It's like, well, I can always edit this out. But it's like, if we have Dominion voting machines... It's not going to be that easy. They can do exactly what... If you have one machine that is capable of being hacked via the internet... Uh, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand our system of government no. who think that the president is just a king you get to vote for. Right. He, right. right. he can't do anything... You know, and, and I think Trump did a whole bunch of good stuff. I'm sure you would agree, but I think he was... I think he was um, not really prepared for how overwhelmed he would be in that office because there's a lot of corruption there. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes he made, forgive me for saying so, was in his acceptance speech on Inauguration Day because he basically essentially told everybody what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, no, no, what are you doing? Gentle as serpents. Or, sorry, gentle as doves, wise as serpents. You don't give away your plan from the beginning, you know? You just go in and do it. Anyway, so that's my opinion on the God Man Dog thing. Mm -hmm. There's th at least three views that I'm aware of, and that's one of them. So ultimately, though, I look at it like this, and I'm sure you come to the same conclusion. Does it matter? No. Mm -hmm. No, because if it happens at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, right. okay. Okay, right. We're already going to be in glorified bodies serving our Lord, and we're just going to watch Him fight. Bam, boom. Bada boom, bada bing, out, it's over. And if it happens at Armageddon, instead of before the tribulation, we're still going to watch Jesus, you know, kick the Antichrist out. I mean, he's the first dude that's thrown into the lake of fire alive. Everybody else right now is sitting in hell waiting for the great white throne judgment. He'll be the first. And then I'm thinking, well, if it happens before the tribulation, we're still going to watch God do it. If we're here. I mean, I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I, you can't know. But we can have our theories, right? We can come down on this one, this one, or this one, or that one. There's four major theories. It's like, it doesn't matter. What I try to tell, I'm a pre-trib rapture person. That's just simply the way I am. I, I, I believe scripture teaches that. Others don't. Perfectly fine. Absolutely. But here's what I tell people. Uh, and I do it on my blog all the time. If you are pre-trib rapture, great. But, but, you better know what the times are. And you better be able to see ahead to know where we're going. Because that gives you the information you need right now to prepare for what's coming. Because I have no idea, still, when the rapture is going to happen. Because I have no idea when the tribulation is going to start. So I'm going to be smart about this. You're, you're familiar with Joseph in the Old Testament. Um, I think it was chapter 37, I believe, of Genesis, where 
He is called before Pharaoh, who had a bad dream about the, the seven wonderfully fat cows and then followed by seven very thin, sickly cows. And what did they do after that? Seven good years coming, then followed by seven years, which is going to make everybody forget about the seven good years. What did they do? They prepared. And I'm not saying that we need to be like some of these preppers that, I've got a gun turret on each corner of my house, I'm going to shoot anybody, no, nothing like that. I'm just saying that Sylvia and I are doing what we can to prepare because I'm not sure our kids really understand where we are going. And if they're caught in the cold, I want to be able to do something for them. We can't prepare against every eventuality, but we can make decent, I think, reasonable decisions today that can help us, you know, stock up on some food, buy extra gas, do things that, you know, that's the way I am. So, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know, kind of rambling, but that's okay. You get what I'm saying, hopefully. So, whether you're a pre-tribber, Mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib. If you're a post-tribber, you've got a lot of preparation to do. If you're a pre-tribber, maybe not so much. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I've seen a lot on that. I don't know, like John MacArthur, he's a pre-trib. Yes, yes. And Bodie Bachman is post-trib. Yeah. yeah. And you listen to both of them, and... It's, I know. I know. They're both very convincing. They are. Either, either way. They are. Oh, I've listened to some people who are mid-trib. Post-trib, who are thoroughly convincing. Thoroughly convincing. Um, I look at it like this, and Fruchtenbaum does the same thing. He looks at the rapture, and I'm sorry we're getting a little bit off tonight, but it's okay. Um, he looks at the rapture as very much like the wet Jewish wedding ceremony. And I don't know if you've studied the Jewish ceremony at all. There's a DVD out. It's called Before the Wrath, which is really, really good. Um, but they, they fall down on one place because they kept building up this part of the DVD and they said, oh, this, this is like, this opens it wide open. This is, okay, but they didn't, they didn't show the thrill. They didn't show where they got that from. So, but anyway, when you're talking, John, what is it, 14, 1 to 6, where he goes, I go to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back to get you. And then where I am, you will be. Now, to me, that is a nod to the pre-trib because it's based on the Jewish wedding ceremony. So when a, a, hus a man and a woman became betrothed in Judaism, that was a public ceremony that betrothed them to each other. And then after the ceremony, they went their separate ways. The, the groom would go back to his father's house and build a room, an addition onto that existing home that his father had. The bride would go off with her bridegrooms and she would get all these things going. Everything was in preparation for this wedding that would take place a year later. Then finally when the groom, only the, only the bride, only the groom's father knew the date. He would look at the groom and go, okay, this is the day. Go get your bride. He would take his groomsmen, they'd walk down the street publicly blowing shofars, making noise, she would do what? She and her bridemaids, and this is one of the parables that Jesus talked about, would come out of her and meet him in the street, and he would lift her up, and some of the some of it, the history says he would that they would actually carry her in a little litter. And where would they go? Back to his place 
where they were going to have the ceremony. They didn't, he didn't continue to go to her place. So anyway, that's one version of it. So that's, I'm sorry that I got off on the rapture. I didn't really need to do that. But there's so much out there is what I'm saying. And it's really difficult to nail down sometimes. So you have to be a student of scripture like I am, and I'm sure you are, otherwise you wouldn't be here, and just have God, what is it, Lord? Reveal it to me, and then I guess just choose the one that makes most sense to you with the knowledge that I may be changing my opinion in six months about this particular thing, the rapture, or about the start or the end of this or that. So that's all I'm saying there. So we've got the northern... Did I answer your question? Yes. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Quite a while ago, didn't I? And then I started just blabbing. <laughs> it, was, it was all good. All, okay. All okay, good. Anyway, so let's get back to the northern invasion. God, this is fascinating. God put hooks. Verse 4, I will turn you around. Who's I? God. He's in charge. I'm going to turn you around put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And he goes on and on and on. And then verse 7 says, prepare yourself, be ready, you and your company. And what I love about this later on, and by the way, uh, the second part of verse 8, in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. The latter years is an, is an acronym or another word, phrase for latter days or end times, which I believe we're living in right now. So at some point during the latter days, this Gog is going to have all these troops going to get together. And it says here, you will ascend, verse 9, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day, it'll come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you'll make an evil plan. I love that. So these thoughts are going to come into Gog's mind and Gog is going to go, man, that's a great idea. Man, I'm glad I thought of that. And it's God who puts it in there. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So this is what, what's happening here. Um, it's just absolutely fascinating. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. You look at Israel right now, they have unwalled villages. They all live in the what they call kibbutz, which is, here's the center of it, and it emanates out from here. They have communal property where they grow vineyards, where they grow vegetables, where they grow all kinds of fruit, where the cows, the, the other animals will, will graze, etc., they don't have any walls. Generally, no. Um, so, he puts hooks in uh, the, the jaws of Gog. Obviously, that's a figure of speech and expression. Basically, God's going to give him something. You've heard the expression, I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse, right? This is what God's doing. God is going to make it so that God will not only not be able to refuse it, but he won't be able to refuse it because he will think it's his idea. And, and He's a genius. Why didn't I think of this before? Because the timing wasn't right. That's why. So it causes him to invade Israel. And why does God do this? And there's another reason, by the way, I think that the northern invasion occurs before the tribulation, which I'll get to in a minute. God does this, but God is held accountable. Isn't that fascinating? We know that. We don't really have free will, by the way, in, in the way Adam and Eve had free will. We don't. 
But look what happened to them when they had free will. One of my seminary professors, we were talking about this, and he goes, it simply proves to you, when you have free will, you're always going to choose against God. Isn't that sad? Which is why Paul talks about the elect angels of God, I think, in the book of Titus. The elect angels of God, it probably means that those angels never had free will to choose against God. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we have it, and yet, look where we are. Though God does this, God is held accountable. Ezekiel 38, 1-6. Okay, the results of the northern invasion. This is where it gets really interesting, for me at least. There's a major earthquake. This major earthquake is so big, uh, 1823, where are we here? And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, verse 18, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face another figure of expression, figurative speech here. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. This earthquake is going to be huge. I don't know if you've ever been through an earthquake. The first year of my marriage, we lived in California. And my wife, of course, grew up with earthquakes. I thought they were kind of funny. Um, and the, the very first earthquake we had, we're in our little apartment, second floor. It was in, early in the morning, we were getting ready to go to work, and all of a sudden, you hear the ground literally start to rumble, and the little chandelier is starting to go like this. My wife comes running over, and she goes, Aah. she grabs my neck, she was petrified. I'm laughing, because to me, I didn't know the danger of an earthquake, obviously, but to me, this was just like, little bit of rock and roll in here and rumbling and no big deal what's the problem and of course most of the homes and apartments in california are built to take that kind of stuff but there were some obviously some major damage in some places i've grown to respect earthquakes but this one this one is going to be so huge that the fish of the sea verse 20 the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the field all creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake in my presence they will innately know this is not a normal earthquake. This is so huge, so big, that I'm petrified. Um, and and it's, then he just goes on and on. In verse 13, it talks about, Therefore, son of man, prophecy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day, when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come forth from your place out of the far north. So it's, I was in the wrong verse, sorry. But anyway, he, he, this happens, this earthquake happens, and check this out. Uh, it is still verse 20, about the middle of it, toward the end of it. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall. Every wall shall fall to the ground. Okay, so the way I look at this, this is actually, if this happens, and I, I can't say for sure that it will, but if it happens before the tribulation, it actually will pave the way for the temple to be rebuilt because whatever is standing on the Temple Mount right now will be thoroughly demolished. Nothing, nothing. Every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. How many times did God do that in the Old Testament? All of a sudden you're fighting an army and you look at your brother who's fighting on your same side and these people start getting confused and start attacking and killing one another. The same thing is going to happen. 
Verse 22, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding, rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, we know this happened in the Old Testament. How many times? And how quickly they forgot. What happens here, in my opinion, and again, I could be totally wrong. I'm not afraid to admit that. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But we got a major earthquake. Nothing is left standing. Birds, fish, animals, notice it. Soldiers will turn on one another. There will be pestilence, which is disease. Like that. Blood. God causes hail, rain, fire, and brimstones. God is doing all the fighting here. Israel, probably by the time they realize they're being attacked, they won't even have time to strap on. Not that they don't strap on. I mean, the teachers over there in school use quote-unquote assault rifles. But they won't have time to defend themselves. God does it. It's almost like he's pushing them out of the way and saying, I'm handling this. Because Israel is God's land. It always has been and always will be until we get the new heavens and new earth. So to reiterate, the major countries involved, lower Russia, possibly Turkey, Iran, Ethiopia, Somalia, Germany, Armenia, and or Turkey. So those are the countries involved. This is going to be a huge army. And here's what I also think is the reason that it could happen. It makes sense to me that it could happen before the tribulation. If this happens before the tribulation and the Temple Mount is thoroughly wiped out and all it is is rubble, stones, nothing, nothing left. The Dome of the Rock is gone. The other two mosques are gone. Just rubble, ruins. And the world has pretty much noticed what has happened. What do you think is going to be one of the next steps? Peace with Israel. Peace. It's going to be a very short-lived peace. But honestly, I think, and it makes sense to me, but again, I cannot stress this enough, I could be wrong. So, so like, the, so you're talking about the Norman invasion being yes. the, the beginning of the seven-year period. Before. before Just before, yes. Okay. That's my view. Okay. I could be wrong. So, what's happening here is, once this occurs, think of the devastation. Think of the world going, and they'll see it instantly. Instantly. So they'll see all this play out and they'll go, oh my goodness. Somebody up there is fighting for Israel. Do you think that at least for a while, the world is going to go, oh hi Israel, can we be your friend? Do you think? I'm thinking. And so that's going to give the perfect chance for the guy who rides in on the white horse, the first seal of Revelation chapter 4, to go, you know what? Yes, we need to come to terms with Israel and there needs to be peace in the Middle East and I can help make that happen. I've got a plan. And you know what, Israel? It's going to give you seven years of peace. No more Arabs or Taliban or anybody shelling, dropping bombs into you. I, I've got a way, I've got it figured out to know that, that that's not going to happen anymore. For seven years, I can guarantee you. 
And unfortunately, Israel will go along with it instead of trusting in the Lord, like they did with, uh, remember with Joshua, when the, the neighbor, they pretended they were from far, far away, first opening chapters of Joshua, and they, they had uh, sandals that were worn out and broken, and their clothes had hole in them, and the wineskins were just coming apart, and the bread that, it was, they, they built it up huge. And it, what happened? Well, we know what happened. And what was the mistake? Joshua did not go to the Lord and ask. But fortunately, that was a mistake he made that he learned from, and it wasn't make or break, and God did a whole lot. But here, when Israel does this, and they eventually also um, sign a covenant with this Antichrist dude, they're literally literally signing a covenant with the devil, Satan. And so that's why God says, that's it. That's it. They've crossed the line. They've totally crossed the line. They've gone in league with the enemy because they never stopped to ask him. So, as a recap, Gog is going to do this because he wants spoils from Israel. Israel just found recently that they have millions of cubic feet of natural gas just off their shores. They're talking about Israel has offered to replace the Russian natural gas supply. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Within the last week. Within, Within the last week. See how, see how quick, I hadn't heard that. It's how quickly things happen. It's crazy. Yeah, and so don't you think somebody like God, whoever he turns out to be, is going to go, you know what? If I control Israel, I control... Who Putin thinks of that? I don't know what he thinks of it. Then it actually... Probably, probably irritates him. It could, but you know what? What I think is weird, um, here Biden shuts down the Keystone Pipeline, which was capable of doing 833,000 barrels of oil a day. And now he's buying oil from Russia, 500,000 barrels a day, and he's begging other countries to sell us. They're talking about buying oil from Iran. They get I this, know. They get this yeah. Yes. Marco Rubio was on TV today talking about replacing the Russian oil with Venezuelan oil. Well, how about we just open up the Keystone? Right. Come on. I mean, what, what's the carbon Venezuela footprint difference here? Yeah. They just like buying it from Russia. Right. 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 Uh, you know, it, it's just crazy. So whoever this Gog is, he's going to see what Israel has to offer, and he's going to want it. And it's going to happen when Israel's a state again, when the waste places are inhabited, when Israel is dwelling in unwalled villages. And by the way, before they became a state again in 1948, there was nothing there. It was all waste. It was only after the Israelites started coming back, the Jews started going back in 1948, that's when all of a sudden the land blossomed again. And God gave them that ability. So when Israel's dwelling in unwalled villages, what they do right now, dwelling securely, and like I said, fruit and balm, um, he wrote his doctorate. Uh, his book is called Footsteps of the Messiah. Um, he's a Jewish Christian, and uh, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. And so he basically says this dwelling security means literally dwelling in confidence, that there's nothing they can't handle. They're arrogant, unfortunately. They're arrogant. But God is protecting them. What for? for his purposes, because he has a lot to show them and to teach them. And of course, we know that the, the tribulation period is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's mainly geared, mainly geared for Israel to pull out from them a final remnant that will go in to the uh, thousand-year millennial kingdom and do what? 
live in 100% fulfillment of the promises that God originally made to Abraham. So that's why Satan has tried to kill Jews in every generation, even today. Because if he can get rid of every last Jew, then he can show that God's a liar. Because if there are no Jews, they can't go in to possess they can't go in to possess <coughs> the land of Israel. That's not going to happen, we know. Talk about arrogance. But anyway, when Israel is dwelling securely or confidently, all of the above describes Israel, in my opinion, now. So, this could happen now. But again, there's no guarantee it might. It might happen at the end of the tribulation. That might be what this is talking about. It might happen even a little bit later. Because we know there are other wars. So, this is just one alternative. Birth pang five. Ooh. We've got about 15 minutes. So, birth pang five. Uh-oh. My computer. Hello. It's your program. How would you say you're missing your technical support tonight? I know. I was listening to John. I was watching John Haller's um, uh, prophecy, and he's right in the middle of his spiel, his talk, and nothing was working. And he had to get Brian, his tech support guy, to come up while they're filming this. I don't know why this is acting weird. Uh, that's really strange. I think it's your program because you got something on the screen. Oh, I do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely my computer. Yeah, I don't think it's the program. Oh, it could be the computer, yeah. Oh, there we go. There he is. Well, I guess if I had to just press the button. It just went to sleep. It did. The Hivites. That's the people you were talking about. I just thought of The Hivites? The Hivites. Okay. That's the ones that, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. They were from far away. They, they were, really, yeah. Really those deceivers. Up. It's a great story. It is a great story, yes. But then they had to be like the Israel's, like, manual labor. Yes, they became their servants. Serves them right. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to this. Daniel 7, 23 to 24. Uh, you don't have to turn there unless you want to. The scripture's up here. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom. Notice it says the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom. Now, interestingly enough, well, let me read the whole thing. On earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Now, some people think the whole earth here means that particular area of the earth in view. But no, it really doesn't. In this particular case, and the New Testament alludes to this also too often for it to be just that part of the earth, the known part of the earth. We're talking about the whole earth. So this fourth kingdom that's coming, and there is so much in the works right now, just listening to John Howard's prophecy update today. You've heard of the metaverse, right? Mark... Uh, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse Facebook became well everything. Lost thirty-one billion on that dumb, dumb, dumb idea. Oh, he'll get it back. They are pushing. Yes, he did though. Um, they are pushing for everything to go digital, and it's really interesting because people are saying, you know what, the the economy is going to crash probably. Um, so you've got to invest in crypto. No, no. That's me talking. My opinion, no. The reason why is because crypto is based on what? It needs what? Digital. Digital. Wi-Fi. Internet. 
Electricity. Electricity. Right. Exactly. So it's like, okay, but there, everything is moving toward digital. And I, I looked at my wife tonight when we were listening to that, and I said, well, you and I are going to be the outliers then. We're not going to be included in this because we don't want to be included in that. Everything is digital. And, and he was going into a lot of detail. So if you're more interested in that, you could check out one of his. He actually published it today. Uh, John Haller, H-A-L-L-E-R, if you're interested. Is he on YouTube? Or? Pardon me? Yes. Yes, YouTube? sir. Uh, you know what? If you're interested, uh, yeah, you can find it there. I can also email you the link to it. I should have mentioned that today. Uh, if you'd like tomorrow, I'll just include it. And you can either... Ignore it or go for it. It's totally up to you. But it is fascinating because he was talking about all the... There are legal firms right now, attorneys, who are already investigating all this stuff and figuring out ways to make it happen. And I'm thinking, like he said, because he's an attorney, John Haller, he's, he's a pastor and attorney, and he goes, attorneys don't do this unless they know they're going to make money. So, anyway, it's, it's all coming. So this whole earth is the whole earth. And it's going to tread it down and crush it. In other words, all the kingdoms that came before it will be totally demolished, crushed, forgotten because of this one. This one is going to be like so unique, so distinct. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will rise. So right there, there's no guesswork. The ten horns are ten kings. There's no guesswork, right? And Revelation 13 and 17 basically says the same thing. You'll see it when we get there. And another, notice that, another will rise after them. So you got ten kings coming on the scene. I wouldn't be surprised if Klaus Schwab was one of them. I could be wrong, obviously. But it wouldn't surprise me if he would turn out to be one of them. Um, ten kings. They take up their positions, the, the New Testament, Revelation says, for a short while. We don't know how long, but if you want to compare it to entire Earth's history or certainly eternity... Seven years is not that long. Three and a half years is not that long. So whatever the time is, that's how long they're going to be allowed to rule. But they've got this guy coming up right after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. Some of the, um, depending on your translation, what translations do you have? Anybody that maybe is a little bit different? Ezekiel, Daniel going the wrong way. 723. So, for instance, in, I think it says, okay, yeah, New King James says subdue, but there are other translations that use different verbiage. The idea here is, the implication is that he is actually going to kill three, he's going to uproot, uproot is one of them. He's going to either get rid of them, take them completely out of their position of power, or he's going to do it by killing them. And we all know that in politics and in the dirtiness of this world, is murdering somebody that hard to buy? I mean, come on, right? So, oh, that's the scary thing is Putin apparently has got these assassination squads looking for, uh, you know, the Ukrainian president. I'm not sure why the dude's a puppet. <laughs> but yeah, I get you. And it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. So, you know, this guy's going to come on the scene. This 
and this is really, if you notice this, when you read this carefully, it goes, the ten kings will arise and another will rise after them. He becomes the eleventh. And then Revelation talks about the fact that after he takes out three, he is now the eighth. So it's very, it's really interesting. So anyway, he takes and subdues the three kings. The fourth kingdom devours the entire world. Hasn't happened yet, obviously. We're on our way. Um, not simply the known world. Coincidentally, too, the uh, the WEF guy talks about the fourth economic, the fourth, uh, fourth industrial, industrial revolution. revolution. Klaus? Yeah. He's all over the place. He is. Um, he, he wrote a book on the Great Reset, followed it up with the Great Narrative. He's constantly pushing, 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 pushing. If you, I don't like going to his website, World Economic Forum, but it is amazing what the stuff they post there. And you're sitting there going, what world are you living in? Oh, he's living in the real world. This is the real world of his making. He believes that, uh, that um, if we can get rid of democracy, then we have a chance to unite the entire world. He's a technocrat. He is, absolutely, 100%. Rule, rule by the smart people. The smart people and, know better than they go. And we are stupid, let's face it. We, we don't have a clue. You know, we're just useless eaters. That's all we are, really. But, yeah, we're, we're not that stupid. But they, they can't ever admit that. They, you know, like Martin Armstrong says, they, they gather in their five-star hotels, sip their wine, and they pat each other on the back for the great job they're doing. Doing what? Destroying the world's economy? Letting people or killing people, however you want to explain it, letting people die, and just so they can get what they want. And I'm thinking to myself... Does Klaus actually believe he's in his 80s? Does he believe he's going to live forever? Yeah, Soros is too. Soros is in What is it with 80s. these guys? What drug are they? I mean, it's, it's incredible. They don't age. David Rockefeller lived to be 100. All right, well, so... That transhumanism comes in too, where they're trying to yeah. see, can they put a human intelligence in a robot? Or, know. And, you know, it's, it's well, somebody, it I read online, somebody was eating it. A friend of a friend, she, she posted this on a social network. My friend was eating at a restaurant at Denny's in New York, and they used robots there, servers. Wow. And so he asked the robot for a coffee refill, and the robot kind of looked over at him and said, that's not my job, and turned around and walked away. Oh, no. <laughs> was it trying to be funny, or did it actually give him coffee? I don't know. But, yeah, you're right, that transhumanism. I mean, the stuff they're doing, you've probably read some of the stuff Dr. Fauci did with beagles and other things, mm -hmm. and children, children. Yeah. I've got a report that it's the Rockefeller sick. Institute did yes. talking about the vaccinations that they gave to people in Africa. I mean, just experimentation. Yeah, and um, most of the time it created sterile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and um, are you familiar with what they did with uh, the orphans in New York City years ago? Testing them, testing them. They were like mentally... Well, they yeah. were mainly, oh, yeah, they tested them for... Um, to see which HIV drugs have worked. And they didn't have HIV, so they tried to give it to them first. Mm -hmm. What's your thought on the Georgia Guidestones? I think the Georgia Guidestones are really interesting. I'd love to know who put them there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it seems like, you know what it seems like? It seems like the globalist dream wish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to reduce the Earth's They only want 500 million people. Half there. a million people or something. Yeah, they want it down to 500 million people. 500 million. 500 That's million. it. Out of, uh, from 8 billion. 500 million yeah. so that the, they can live here forever. So they've got to get rid of 7.5 billion. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. 
It's crazy, man. It is. I'm glad I live in Georgia, <laughs> and I'm glad we live in the country. Yeah, but honestly, those things are. Why would they put them here? I don't know. Have, have you ever heard that you've heard of the concept of the Luciferian doctrine? Oh yeah. Which is, yeah, which is what that's what they're coming from. They yeah. they think they're going to break back into Eden yep. and get a hold of the tree of life. And that's, I got news for them; it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. But okay, yeah. if they want to. I had one Christian couple came to me. They said, "Do you think that the Garden of Eden still exists?" And I, I thought about it, and I said, "How could it? There was a flood. Totally destroyed the geography of the original world." But, so, one world government is birth pang five. That's it, and we're we're coming to it. Let me see here. Uh, I think I might have a little bit of time to go over birth pang six, and then we'll stop. I was hoping to get done, but I rambled too much. So let's, if you don't mind, we'll do birth pang six real quick and then be done with that for today. Um, so birth pang, okay, yes. This is the one world government still. Um, we're going to, as I say, go over this Revelation 13 and 17. So uh, Revelation 17 says this, the ten horns you saw are ten kings. Same thing we just read in Daniel 7. Uh, who have not yet received a kingdom, but who will for an hour. Some, t uh, com some uh, versions say for a short while. Uh, they'll receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, and will give... They don't know this yet, but their one purpose will be to give their power and authority to the beast. And honestly, I think that that's kind of funny. So Satan is using globalists right now to create this one world thing. He's using them, people like Klaus Schwab and other people. They think they're going to rule the world. They really do. What they don't realize is that once it gets to that point, they're doing all the grunt work, and once that gets to that point, Satan's spiritual son, Antichrist, will be introduced to the scene, fully empowered by Satan. He'll take out three, get rid of three, however you want to look at that, declare himself to be the supreme ruler. They will give him their loyalty. They weren't planning on that. They are not planning on that. They think they're going to be... The, the ten rulers, they'll divide the world into ten spots, ten areas, and each person will rule over it in conjunction. And then the Antichrist, they aren't counting on him. All right, so birth pang six, really quickly. The one world happens, then divides into ten kings, kingdoms or districts. And this kingdom stage continues throughout the tribulation, ultimately under one ruler, the Antichrist. And according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 3, two events occur Prior to the tribulation, the apostasy, we could talk on this for two weeks. Mark has talked about this without really calling it this, but he's mentioned this numerous times in his sermons. That's happening right now. This is happening right now. This one, I've kind of changed my view on this. I'm not sure he's going to be revealed before the tribulation, but he could be. And by that I mean we may see a guy stepping up to help create peace with Israel but he won't be revealed yet as to the world he's not going to be seen as the Antichrist or the man of sin. But to Christians who are studying this stuff, they're going to have their eyes open for a guy who's going to pop out and go, hmm, maybe, maybe. And the other thing is we don't really know exactly how much of this stuff happens before the tribulation begins. So for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is this. The real meaning here is eventually revealed. So, the rebellion, the apostasy, that is happening. 
I, I, you know, my wife and I drive around and we go, wow, look at all this. Look at these churches, how big they are. And then we think, I wonder how many people they still have in it. You know? But if they have a lot of people, great. But the apostasy is happening, I think, like never before. Maybe you agree or disagree, but it is absolutely astounding to me the number of big-name Christians, big-name Christians, who have recently come out and either said, I am no longer a Christian, or I am gay. Or I am no longer a Christian and I'm gay. I mean, it is absolutely astounding to me how many of these people, and these were people of note. People followed them. They sold books. They seemed to have a clear message of the gospel. And now they're, I'm no longer a Christian. It's just absolutely astounding. But that's part of this. So the man of sin will possibly be known to the world before the tribulation. Being known to the world, meaning Christians may recognize this person, whoever it happens to be. I think this is the last slide, yeah. So birth pang six. We're going to have a one world government. And by the way, everybody's talking about 2030. 2030. 2030. We're in 2020, eight years away. It used to be, I mean, the uh, UN Agenda 2020 was one thing, and then 2030, and it started in 2015, so we're halfway there. And I mean, a lot can happen in just a few short years. So, you know, it's good that we have a community of really believers here, mm -hmm. and we know one another, and we can help one another. My wife and I are like, wow, we know the Caldwells, we can get meat from them. We know Whitney, we can get goat milk, goat cheese from her, and eggs. We know other people where we can get eggs. We, we have, there's another Christian uh, Sunrise, New Sunrise Farm in, in uh, Griffin. We get all kinds of stuff from them. And it's like, if people need help, they're just a phone call away and because of the community we have at this church. We're grateful to be part of it. So, any questions? I think I've talked definitely long enough. Questions? Comments? I was just going to say, the 2030 thing, and you're right, I mean, we, we, you know, we'll be back in the community, like, the way God intended us to be I think so, brothers yeah. and sisters and take care I of one another. 100%. Because we've become so atomized now. I agree. Yes. But uh, they, they can make all these predictions, but I mean, God's in control. Oh, God God's ends up ahead and laughs at it. Amen. I mean, yes. you, you realize that the, the, Psalm two. All, of the Anglo, all the Anglo world, along with Japan, bought enough vaccine shots to get 10 to every person in their country. Really? And now COVID's. And now they, they can't. They thought they would build something that they were going to keep going until yes. 30. Yes. And, and now they've had to switch gears. Now like, all of a sudden it's World War III. You can look all you want, but God made that. Yeah. You're not going to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's absolutely amazing to me. I was talking to the pharmacist, and I guess people are done with it, really. And Dr. Fauci hasn't been seen for a while, but I mean, people... Huh? Like this. Nice by design, too. I'm oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. I almost, you know, it's funny. I guess sometimes I get so jaundiced I have to talk to my wife and say, is, is this stupid? Because I sit there and I think everything that's happening over there in Russia, Ukraine, all it's all scripted. I, I just, unfortunately, I just tend to think that. So I read today, don't know if it's true. But I read an incredible source that Zelensky is also one of the World Economic Forum people. Oh, he is. Oh, he is. Absolutely. So Putin is also. Absolutely. So you, yeah. So it really does seem orchestrated. Even, even the guy in Hungary 
who's supposed to be like the traditionalist. Right. He's more, uh, what is it, Orban. Orban's yes. been to the Orban. I know. But you listen to him talk and you didn't know anything, you thought, wow, that guy's right on. Yeah. yeah sometimes at least. But what's interesting about Zelensky is he started off as a comedian. Yeah. Started off as a comedian. Well, most of them are a real joke. Most of them are. But <laughs> <laughs> he said Trudeau was his Ours is a real joke. into politics. Yeah, Biden is a... It is. And it's not the it's not a good movie. This little mojo where it shows COVID exiting and a rocket. Yes. It's just weird. And they think we're so stupid and we're like, we get it, we know what you're doing. We just don't really think we don't really have the power that they do, obviously. But still, you know, what are you gonna do? Well, all right. We will finish up the birth banks next time. Where there's only three more to go, two more to go, three more to go, and then we'll get into right back into Revelation. Okay, think thank chapter. You, thank four. you. Yeah. So let's close in a word of prayer.